We are going through the Bible in two years, and we're on the downhill stretch. We're in the book of John now, so we've covered a lot of the Bible. The people that are regularly in here know, know in advance the reading, so they've already read these chapters. We're doing John 13 through the last through the end of the book. So it's a flying trip. This is only our third week on John, and we're going to finish it today. So shame for such an exciting book, but that's been true about nearly everything we've studied so far. <laughs> what is John's emphasis? What's he trying to to address in the book? Linda. Yeah. All right, Linda. Yeah, at, almost at the very end of the book, he says, this, here's why I wrote, so you'll believe. <laughs> and so you'll have life in His name. And when we read that, we think, oh, okay, so this book is going to be a book that has lots and lots of miracles in it, and things like that. And that's not right. <laughs> that's not how He is trying to get us to believe. In fact, the book is much, much deeper than that. Um, John is looking at why do some people believe and some people don't? And what's the answer to that? People who sin don't want to, to see the light. Yeah, he talks a lot about the light. And there's people that come to the light so their deeds will be evident that they are trying to follow God. And there's other people who when the light comes out along, they crawl underneath a rock. They don't want to have the light shine on their ugly lives. They want to continue deceiving themselves and deceiving the people around them. Like, hey, you know, everybody's like this. And we're going to continue to see that even in these last chapters. Um, that's all, that seems to be always on John's mind. and it's, it's what governs what he picks to put in uh, in these chapters to quite an extent. I mean, obviously, he's got a story to tell as well. And, and But we've seen that even as he tells the stories and the things he picks, um, he uh, um, it's always on this this topic of why does this guy believe? Why does that person not believe? We saw that last week when... when we had the woman who was anointing Jesus' feet. That was Mary. And there was... And what Mary was doing, Jesus said, was just wonderful, but there was somebody that saw the exact same thing. And he was just disgusted with it. And who was that? Yeah, that was Judas Iscariot. Yeah. He was not of the light. He was not attracted. He didn't want to come to the light. Well, in... Um, we're in chapter 13, so we're into the Passion Week. In fact, chapter 13 is the Last Supper, so we're, we're very close to the end of that week. And we're going to do the Passion Week, the Resurrection, and then the Statement of Purpose is what we've been talking about, why John wrote. And then finally, this little story here that's an epilogue. Alright, so the um, all three synoptic writers cover this same story of the Last Supper. None of them cover it like John covers it. <laughs> and so John, even even in such a short period of time, John's going to pull out things 
that you would never know have happened if you had just read the Synoptic Gospels. And the washing of the disciples' feet is one of those, uh, one of those examples. So, um, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And so here He is with the twelve, and He loves them. And He's telling them things that are really on His heart. This is the last chance He's going to have to talk to them before His death. And He's trying to get them ready. And as I read it, I think, that's not the way I would have gotten them ready. <laughs> but Jesus is the one that knows best. And um, it, it's, it's, it's strange as you read. I mean, from our perspective, we read what He's saying, we know exactly what He's talking about, and we know that the disciples are there, and they're hearing this, and they're thinking, What? I don't get this. <laughs> and they don't have much more time left, and Jesus understands that. But first of all, He does this act. What's this act that He does? A deed. He washed their feet, yes. Um, in verse 4, He got up from supper, laid aside His garments, and taking a towel, He girded Himself. Um, who would normally be the one that, in a society like that that would do this? The host would provide a servant. Right, he would have the host would have a, a slave wash their feet. Yeah. Um, so, um, but she, but nobody they didn't have the slave. So, and the and their feet were dirty. So no one had done it. So verse five, he poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And we have to understand what. The, what it looked like when they were eating back in those days. This is an artist's conception of a of a Roman banquet, and I, I don't know that the upper room where Jesus was was quite as fancy as this, but it gives you an idea of the of how they did their eating, and uh, they did their eating lying on their side. Uh, they they would all lie on their their left arm. And then with the right arm, they would reach out and grab the food and eat the food. And any of you that know about medicine are probably thinking, that's not good for the digestion. But I guess they didn't worry about that. Um, some of the pictures I saw on the internet had some people relying on their left arm and some on the right arm. They did not do that. They all lay down on their left arm and they ate with the right arm. Now the picture looks better when they, when they alternate because... Um, you can kind of group them and you don't have people with their backs to someone else. But people had their backs to each other in, in, in that style of eating. And, that, and that, that relates to how we're going to see the story later on when uh, John leans back on Jesus' uh, bosom. But you see, with this kind of a... you know, And again, I don't know whether they had the nice furniture or they lifted up. I, have, I saw one picture, but I couldn't find it on the internet where they just had um, a pallet on the floor actually, and they were, they were all laying on the floor, which would kind of be closer to the level of like a Japanese uh, meal. So I don't know whether, whether this room had the nice high couches or whether they had low couches, but it doesn't make, make a difference because your feet are sticking out and someone just has to walk around 
the outside there, and he can get to everyone's feet and wash their feet. Um, and that's what Jesus was doing. So he came to Peter, and what is Peter's attitude about this? Not my feet only, but... <laughs> well, you know, you've jumped too far ahead. Right, he felt... I mean, I, I'm not sure... I don't know exactly what we could come up with in our society that would correspond with this. I mean, people don't wash other people's feet in our society, but, you know, whatever might be the, the particular service, I mean, if you if, can you imagine, you know, going to the White House to visit the president, and, and he starts doing some kind of a service like that, you would think, well, this is terrible. I mean, this, you know, not, not you, Mr. President. And I mean, Jesus understands that he's. I mean, Peter's already confessed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and now Jesus wants to wash his feet like a slave. He says, "Never, you're never going to do that to me." And what did Jesus answer? Yeah, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. And of course, then you know, Peter says, "Well, wash my hands, and my head too." Well, and Peter's heart is in the right place, and and. Um, obviously he was right in his thinking about Jesus. Jesus was so far above him. But what, Je- what did Jesus mean when he said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me? The cleansing comes from his death on the cross. That's what he's talking about. Um, every one of us have the ugliest parts of our bodies washed away by the blood of Jesus. And that, and Jesus was going to do that within 24 hours of when He was washing these people's feet. And unless we, each one of us individually, unless we understand that the God of the universe suffered and died to wash us up, we cannot have any part in Him. Unless we understand that, we cannot have a part in Him. Um, <clears throat> So, in verse 14, he says, If I then, the Lord and the Teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Um, The opposite of what Jesus is talking about is pride, which is the way most people live their lives, including us, unfortunately. Um, Jesus is trying to get us out of that thinking. Yeah, John? As you implied, Jesus washing the feet is symbolic of the uh, much more humble service of of dying on the cross. Here he says you ought to wash one another's feet and elsewhere he says uh, you ought to be prepared to die for one another. Right. He's not... Jesus was not trying to institute some kind of a a church ceremony once a year, you know, we'll get together and wash each other's feet. He's talking about an attitude that we have all the time. Yeah. Attitude. So then... He changes the subject in verse 21. Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray Me. Now we saw the same teaching, of course, in the Synoptic Gospels, but John has some extra details. He was there, of course. And what does John always call himself in this book? The, the disciple that Jesus loved. Yeah, the disciple Jesus loved. He never names himself. So... It says in verse 23, there was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. So, let's say, for example, this person is Jesus. 
then this guy here is John because he's reclining on Jesus' bosom. His back is to Jesus' front. So all he has to do is kind of lean over a little bit and he can speak into Jesus' ear. So Peter is somewhere else. I don't know where Peter is, but he signals to, to John, you know, Adam, tell us who it is. <laughs> so John leans back. Lord, who is it? And then what does Jesus say? Yeah, it's the one I'm going to give the give this morsel to. So he he answers them in a way that if someone else catches snatches a word or something of that, they're not going to hear him saying, "Oh, Judas Iscariot." <laughs> He's not going to say it like that. You know, it's the one I'm going to give this morsel to. Someone else hears, "Oh, morsel," and he hands it to Judas. Well, you know that's just a friendly thing to do. And then, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. And then he left. <clears throat> and, and the others heard Jesus say that to him, but they had no idea what it was. I mean, you know, what's he going to do that needs to be done quickly? What's, you know, hey, we, we just sat down to eat. You know, what's going on here? But he went out. And John says, And it, and it was night. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? I think John's talking about a lot more than what the, what it looked like outside. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. In verse 33, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek Me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this... All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then we continue with our with his talking to them, and he goes on for several chapters here, much, much, much more than what you find in the in the Synoptic Gospels. So, chapter fourteen. Um, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And then in verse 4, He says, And you know the way where I am going. <laughs> Thomas, this is interesting how Thomas... We get more out from Thomas in the book of John than in all three other Gospels put together. <laughs> Does anyone remember what Thomas said last week that we found interesting? Yeah, London. He said, "Let's go to Jerusalem with them, and let's all die there." Yeah, yeah. He, Jesus says, "Oh, you know, our friend Lazarus is dead. We're going to go wake him up." And Thomas says, "Hey, let's all go and die with him." <laughs> He's. Uh, we we might call him a pessimist, and he'd probably say, "Well, I'm a realist." <laughs> but he he asks a good question. I mean, the, Jesus says, "You know the way where I'm going," and he says, "Lord." We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? <laughs> and Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. <laughs> yep. It does, but it takes a lifetime to understand it, doesn't it? <laughs> and then He says, if you'd known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on, you know Him and have seen Him. And Philip has this great statement. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. How many people do you know that would say that? Show me God, and that's enough. 
Name me somebody else in the Bible that said that. Moses did, yeah. He wanted to see God. <laughs> That's a great statement. And we owe it to Philip here to, for that. Jesus said, Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know Me, Philip? He who has seen Me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Wow. <laughs> this must have just been blown these guys away. <clears throat> then verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also. And greater works than these He will do because I go to the Father. Of course, it's how he's going to the Father that's the answer to that. You know, he's not just going to jump up in the air and disappear. He's going to go by the way of the cross. Then, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father, Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Unlimited power. Unbelievable. Now, we've got, we've got to throw in a side here. I, I think most of you understand this, but I just don't want it to be misunderstood. Jesus is not saying that God is a magic lamp. And you just rub the magic lamp and whatever you ask for, you'll get. You know, I want a million dollars. I want a Porsche. I want a fancy... It's, he, it, they, he did not promise that. God is our Father far above us. We didn't even know what to ask for a lot of times. And sometimes when we think we do, we don't. If God were a magic lamp and just gave us whatever we wanted, it would be the worst thing in the world for us. We would, we would all just be so ruined spiritually if God behaved that way. God gives us what's best for us. He gives us because He loves us. The, the fact that there is no limit is only as we are walking in partnership with Him and fellowship with Him. And, and I understand there are people that are walking in very close fellowship with Him. They've asked and asked and asked for something and He hasn't given it to them. And my suggestion on that is that if that person knew everything God knows, they would agree 100% with what God has got, done for them. God will always give His children what is best for them. Without limit. And this is what Jesus is saying. There is no limit. When we, when we say, I just don't think I can do this that God wants me to do. You're putting limits on God. And Jesus says there is no limit. You ask and God will do it. Then He says if in verse 15, if you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And if we try to separate those two, we're going to be really disappointed. Um, he says in verse 6, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper that He may be with you forever. Who's He talking about this Helper? The Holy Spirit, yes. And He explains in the next verse, that is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. This again is this basic theme in the book of John. Some people are attracted to the light and other people are repulsed by it. And the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because they don't know Him. And then, this, I found this interesting in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, 
I'm sure after this he was always embarrassed to have that name. But <laughs> um, it was a good name. He said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you were going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? That's a perfectly reasonable question. You, you know, Jesus all along has been trying to preach to the all the crowds, and now he's he's t- telling these disciples that he's going to go away and, and that he's not going to show himself to the world. And so Judas wants to know what's going on here. And I will tell you, when you first read Jesus' answer, you think, uh, Jesus, didn't you hear it? You just got asked a question. It sounds like you just got it going on like nothing ever happened. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father's is in me. And you read that and you think, what does that have to do with the question? But in fact, he's explaining why he's not going to show himself to the world. Because the world doesn't love him. He will show himself to anybody without exception who loves him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our bow with him. But the world just they don't, does not fit in that category. He talks more about the Holy Spirit in 25 and 26. And then in verse 27, He says, Peace I live with, leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. This peace is a theme that's cut, that, that is relatively new in the book of John. But He's going to keep bringing it up. It's a very major theme from here to the rest of the book. Alright, chapter 15 talks about the vine and the branches. Uh, he says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. And I've got a three-point outline on this chapter. Um, the first eight verses are on union. Union with Christ. Union with God. In verse 4, Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me, and I in Him, He bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. We can only bear fruit in union with Christ. Then, in the next section, it's communion. I got, I got this outline from Edersheim, and he, he likes the... <clears throat> having the word sound alike. So if you if you look at this and say, that doesn't sound like Ken. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Communion between Jesus and the and the and the branches and between the branches and each other. In verse nine, just as my fa- the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Um <clears throat> He says, if you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. He says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What a wonderful communion, a sharing. And then in verse 12, this is My commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So we have communion with God. We have communion with one another. All because we're in union with Christ. And then the last one is called disunion. (laughs) 
In verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. This is again is a major theme that we've seen all the way through the book of, of John. But now Jesus is trying to emphasize there's union with Him, there's disunion with the world, and the consequence is they're going to persecute you. The world does not like you if you are disunited. In verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And then he explains, he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. They hated Jesus because he shined a bright spotlight on their sin and it hurt. They didn't want it, they didn't want that to happen. Um, Then he predicts persecution to come in chapter 16. Verse 2, They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. And who was one of the most famous people that was doing that in the book of Acts? Yeah, Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, These things they will do because they have not known the Father or Me. Verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. He's trying to get him ready again. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. They have to move on to this next phase of the kingdom. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Which, of course, is going to bring on more persecution, but He doesn't mention that at this point. Um, And then in verse 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is a principle that that still applies today. I mean, certainly we understand that at the point where the apostles were at that time, they just could not have imagined the kind of things that Jesus wanted them to learn. They had to go through the sorrow of the cross and the joy of the resurrection before they'd be ready for that. But we today, there are stages in our own lives as Christians. And and there are times when we can understand certain things and not understand other things. And I don't care if a person memorized the Bible word for word from Genesis to Revelation, they still would not understand certain things until until they've grown as a Christian. And so he's telling them there's things that they're just not ready for. But... When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all the truth. So in verse 16, a little while and you will no longer see Me. And again a little while and you will see Me. And of course the disciples are here and they say, what is this about? I just, you know, we don't get this. And so finally Jesus says in verse 20, truly, truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And He's still... He's not telling them in so many words what's going to happen. and I, I, I assume because it, He feels like that just wouldn't work for them. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to have to skip some things. Um, oh, verse 28. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. 
I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. And finally the disciples say, now we get it. Which of course, they get it to an extent, but they've still got a long way to go. And then verse 33, These things I have spoken to you so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And then he, he says a prayer, the longest prayer we have recorded of Jesus in the Bible. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Even as You gave Him authority over all flesh, that to all whom You have given Him, He may give eternal life. That's another theme in the book of John. God gives believers to Jesus. This is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. In verse 6, I have manifested Your name to the men whom You gave Me out of the world. They were Yours, and You gave them to Me, and they have kept Your Word. And then verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and so He wants Him, God to keep them safe. Uh, verse 14, I have given them Your Word, and the wor- world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. What does sanctify mean? Set them apart. Separate them. They're going to be walking around the world. Keep them separate from the world by your word. He's praying. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that You sent Me. Earlier, Jesus had said, here's how the world will know that you you belong to Me if you love one another. Now He's saying, here's how the world will know if you have unity. There's a relationship. (laughs) You have your unity by loving one another. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me be with Me where I am so that they may see My glory, which You have given Me, for You loved Me from the foundation of the world. And of course, we're looking forward to that time when we will see His glory as He really is. Now, we move along and we come to the arrest. Jesus then, He went out from there, crossed the Kidron Valley, which this is the Kidron Valley, and it had water in it only in, only when it rained, and that was only in the wintertime. So it's a dry riverbed. And they go, he crossed that onto the slope of the Mount of Olives, but this is where we think Gethsemane was. Um, and of course, Judas knows the place, and he comes. John gives us a few details that the other writers don't give. Like Jesus says, comes out and says, well, who, who are you looking for? And they say... Well, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am he. And then what do they do? They fall back and stumble over each other, fall on the ground. And they, and they did that several times. And then Peter whacks out, and this is the first time we know who it was that actually did the, the chopping of the ear. John is the first one that tells us it was Peter. Probably Peter was already dead by the time John wrote that, and that might be why the other writers were more circumspect. But John also even tells us the name of the guy that got his ear chopped off. That his slaves, the slave's name was Malchus. Um, 
John also tells us in verse 13 that they led him to Annas first. Um, and I don't know, uh, it's hard for me to tell. The way, the way John tells it, it sounds like Peter was denying Jesus in the courtyard of Annas, but the way the synoptic writers say, it sounds like he was, Peter was denying Jesus in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And it may be that, that, that Annas actually owned part of the same house with his, with his son-in-law Caiaphas. I don't know. Well, we don't read much about what happened with Annas. Um, it's, it's Caiaphas that gets most of the, of the story. Um, I'll show you. On this map, they, they suggest this might be where the house of Caiaphas was. Uh, that's, you know, here, here we had Gethsemane. and I don't know where the Last Supper was, of course, but that might be where the house of Caiaphas was. So, and that, that trial was much the same that we've already read. Then they led, in verse 28, they led Jesus into the praetorium to Pilate. This is probably the praetorium. This was the royal palace that King Herod the Great had built. And the Roman governor, whenever he was in town, he would stay there. Even though Herod, who was the son of Herod the Great, was in town at the time, he doesn't get first pick of the house. <laughs> the Roman governor does. And he had a different one. So that's probably where they took him to, the praetorium. Early on, boy, I tell you, they got this guy up crack of dawn because he made. John tells us it, that when he finally passed judgment in chapter 19, it was the sixth hour. What time would that have been? 6 a.m. 6 a.m., that's right. Because John, unlike all the other writers in the New Testament, John uses Roman time just like we do 12 hour, you know, from midnight to, to noon and so on. So, uh, this is very early. Um, And Pilate, he gets he, he he was so perplexed by this prisoner. Never had he had a prisoner like this before. Um, he Pilate asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And Jesus says, "Well, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell me about tell you about me?" Of course, Pilate doesn't even care really. But Jesus says in verse thirty six, "My kingdom is not of this world." Well, Pilate picks up at least on the fact that, oh, so you, you are a king. And he says, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to, to, to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What's Pilate's response? What is truth? What is truth? I don't think he was of the truth then. <laughs> he doesn't want the light shining on him just like hardly anyone else does either. Um, but he did go out and say he found no guilt in him. But he shows his attitude about truth as we go on. So chapter 19, we come up, we finish up the trial and then the crucifixion. Um, verse 4, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Um, they're making just a mockery of Jesus. You know, if he claims to be a king, here, you should wear a purple robe, be royalty and all that, just trying to shame him. A crown, too, a crown of thorns. But it doesn't, I don't know if Pilate was hoping they would feel sorry for him at this point, but it doesn't work. And he, Pilate's gradually losing this. 
this whole argument. Then they give what they consider to be the trump card. We have a law, and by that law he ought to be to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God. And what's Pilate's reaction to that? <laughs> he's scared. Because he's already seen this guy is not like any person he's ever seen. And now he finds out he claims he's come from God. So he goes in and he says, where are you from? What did Jesus say? He didn't say a word. And that gets that irritates him. Don't you know I have power to release you and authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, He who delivered me to you has a greater sin. <laughs> that was a different way of thinking about it. And Pilate tried even harder to get him free, but Pilate's not of the truth, and so he's not going to win this battle. So finally, in verse 17, they took him out bearing his own cross to what place? Golgotha. Which, this may be where Golgotha was. These, these walls weren't there at the time. It was just the red walls were there in Jesus' day. And so this would have been just outside the wall. And that's I think that's the traditional site for it. I don't have any better suggestion than that. There are tombs in that, in that area, so it, it, fits, it fits everything we know from the New Testament. Um, and they crucified Him. John tells us one more thing in verse 23 that they took His outer garments and made four parts. And then the tunic. A, a Jewish man of those days would have, would have worn a, 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 head, a head wrap. I don't know what they called it, but uh, uh, um, kind of like what you see in the East today. He would have worn an inner garment and then an outer garment over that. And oftentimes when you, when you read that someone put aside his garments, it was his outer garment he was putting aside. The inner one, would, he'd still be modest with that. And then sandals, and finally a belt around the outer garment. So, if you count it, that's five parts. So, and all those parts would be approximately equal in, in, in those days, except for the inner garment. It was much more valuable because it was seamless. It was a very valuable piece of clothing. So, each of the soldiers got one of the other things. You know, one guy got the sandals, one guy got the headdress, and one guy got the belt, and they were all happy with that. But the, who's going to get this valuable piece? They gambled over it. And... Uh, John quotes from the Old Testament to show that, that that too had been predicted. Then in verse 26, we have a speech up from the cross that we don't have in the other Gospels. Mary is there, the mother of Jesus. You remember when Simon had told her, a sword will pierce through you. And this is certainly happening. And so he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Who's he talking about here? Right, the disciple whom he loved, John. John's the only disciple we know that was at the cross. We know the women were there, but of the twelve, John's the only one we know about that was there. I can't guarantee there was nobody else, but um, none of the writers tell us about anyone else. And then he said to this, I'll behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. And um, if if... John means literally from that exact hour, then that means that he must have left while Jesus was still alive, taken his mother, taken now his adopted mother, to his house. 
and then come back because John was definitely there at the end and he, he gives us the testimony at the end of what, what happened. Um, the, uh, the Jews wanted the, the crucifixion speeded up, so they wanted the legs to be broken, which was contrary to, to what I, you sometimes hear people say. That was not to try to get them to die. They were not breaking their legs to get them to die. They were getting the, breaking their legs to increase their suffering because they did not feel it was fair that they should have a shorter time on the cross than other people. So, to make up for it, they, have, they, they break their legs and then, then you know, the extra pain will in some way make up for the fact that now they're going to kill them by spearing them. That's what they would do at the end. Spear them. And they didn't break Jesus' legs because He was already dead, but they did spear Him like they did all the others. And, and John says, He who has seen has testified, and His testimony is true, and He knows that He's telling the truth so that you also may believe. He wanted everyone to understand, I was there, I saw them spear Him, I saw the blood and the water come out. Then we have the burial. Joseph of Arimathea, who's also talked about in the Synoptic Gospels. But another guy was with him who's not mentioned there. And who's that? Nicodemus. And he brought a hundred pounds of spices, which would be an awful lot. He was really going to embalm Jesus' body as well as he could. Embalm meaning wrapping it up. I mean, so that they would take this big long linen cloth and as they'd wrap it, they would put spices in, in, in between the, the windings. So that, so that it would try to cut down on the smell when his body decays. And so now we have the, the resurrection on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, which of course the synoptics tell the same thing. She came earlier to the tomb while it was still dark and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So this is kind of what it, kind of what it might look like um, back then. She runs and tells the disciples, and which two disciples come to the tomb? Peter and John. Peter and John, yeah. And he just calls himself the other disciple. And inside a tomb, you would have these shelves here. You have three shelves, in fact, on one on each side. And they, so they could have three, three bodies decaying at the same time in a tomb like this. Then, then after a year or so, when they've all is left is bone, they put them in a box. But that's another story. Now, whoever staged this put this cloth in there, but I don't think that's what it looked like. We'll see in just a minute. But they would have stooped over, come in here, and looked on the shelf where his body was supposed to be. And who went in first? Peter, yeah. Who got to the tomb first? John. <laughs> yeah. John waited for Peter. And I, um, I, I rather think Peter was probably the older of the two. Um, <clears throat> And maybe that's why he waited, or maybe it was just a different personality. But Peter, he gets there, right in he goes, so then John goes in. But there was a difference between the two. They both saw the same thing. But what does it say about John? He saw and believed. And here's an artist's conception, which I think is, is closer to what he probably saw. Because it very carefully says that... Um, he saw the, the linen wrappings just lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in place by itself. Rolled up because it had been rolled up around his head. And the, so I think, I think this artist is correct. I think that when Jesus was resurrected, He just kind of trans, transmigrated out, out of these, these, these claws. And so when Peter and John looked, they just saw 
it looks like there's a dead person here except it's all hollow. It's just now it might have been a little bit more squashed than that. I don't I don't know, but John believed. And we've seen all along, John is a very thoughtful person. I mean you can see why he was a disciple that Jesus loved. He sees deeper than anyone else does. Um, he, he he was much closer to understanding Jesus. And he saw and he believed. And um, and then we have Jesus' appearance to um, to Mary. She thinks he's a gardener. Um, and then in verse 19, he appeared to all the disciples. And what did he say to them? Peace be with you. Be with you. The same thing he was saying the night before, or two nights before. Actually, this is the first day of the week. Um, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But someone was missing. Who was that? Thomas, yeah. We already had him a couple of times. He's a realist. He says, I'm not going to believe unless what? I've got to put my finger right in the nail holes. I'm not going to believe until that. And so a week later, what does Jesus say to him when he appears? <laughs> yeah, put your finger here. <laughs> oh boy. And what did he say? My Lord and my God. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. But you know, I mean, we're in that category, of course, but we can thank Thomas. I mean, isn't it nice for us that he didn't believe until he had all the evidence? So we can know. He, 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 these guys were not just, you know, pie in the sky enthusiasts who were willing to believe the first thing that came along. Thomas, we've seen Thomas, he's been a realist the whole time. <laughs> he doesn't think Jesus is going to be alive again. He watched, or I don't know if he was at the cross, but he knows what happens when someone's crucified. So now John finally tells us, here's what I've been writing to you about. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in His book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And so finally we have this epilogue, Jesus' appearance at the Sea of Galilee, um, which is kind of strange because it's after, you know, the verses 30 and 31 kind of finish the book, but John adds this. The story he really wanted to tell. And this takes place where? Yeah, the other stories are all down here in Jerusalem. All the way up at the Sea of Galilee, which in this case is called the Sea of what? Tiberius. Tiberius. Named after who? Emperor. Emperor Tiberius Caesar, yeah. John's the only one that calls it that. Um, and he's, he's, mentioned, he's called it that before, in fact. So Peter says, I'm going to do what? Go fishing. Now there's seven disciples here. John, of course, being one of them. And they're out there fishing. And uh, how much did they catch? Didn't catch anything. I'm sure it wasn't the first time. Um, And they see a guy on the shore and he says, Children, you don't have any fish, do you? No. Cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. Of course, they catch it. I can't even pull from that in. <laughs> Who's the first to figure this out? It's John, yeah. He tells <laughs> he tells Peter, <clears throat> it is the Lord. Peter jumps in the water and he swims a hundred yards to the shore. He wants to be with Jesus. 
Then the others bring in their their boat, <coughs> pulling it up on the shore, and they count the fish. How many fish were there? No, John, how could you do this to me? You've, you've let me down. <laughs> 153 large fish. 153 large fish, yes. <laughs> well, of course, that number doesn't have a whole lot of significance. How could John remember that number? This was just like yesterday for him. I mean, he's writing decades later, but it was just like yesterday. And he remembers how many fish. And Jesus has them in for... Brings fish, you know, he had a fire ready for them and they have breakfast with him. Who did he have to talk to? He needed to talk to Peter, Simon. What did he ask him? Do you love me? How many times did he ask? What does that remind Peter of? <laughs> the three denials, yeah. Oh, that's so sad. But what did he tell him each time that Peter said he loved him? What did he tell him? Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Jesus is a good shepherd. And Peter did. You remember in the book of in one of Peter's epistles, he says, The elders among you I exhort, who am also an elder. He was a shepherd. And he had he had attended those sheep all his life. And then, of course, Jesus predicts what's going to happen to him in later years. And then he wants to know what's going to happen to someone else. Who who's he talking about? John. John, yeah. And Jesus lets him know that, well, that's not really any of your business. And finally, at the end, someone else writes verse 24. This is the disciple who has testified to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. These are probably some elders in the church where John was, and they're letting us know, we know this guy knows what he's talking about. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that will be written. All right, I appreciate everyone's help. On to the book of Acts. Yeah, John. Uh, verse uh, uh, 22 in chapter 20. Uh, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Yes. Do we, make it, uh, <laughs> do we not discuss that? Why do you think I skipped over that? Huh? <laughs> now, he, he, was, he was imparting to them the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the, later on they would lay hands on people and they would get the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's, that's all I can tell. 